I'm reading today from the uh, uh, TLB, uh, Today's Living Bible. Uh, so the first one is Luke 18, 35 to 43. That's probably back to front, actually, is it? Yeah, not sure. Anyway, there we go. Luke 18, 35 to 43. As they approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting beside the road, begging from travellers. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. He was told that Jesus from Nazareth was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowds ahead of Jesus tried to hush the man, but he only yelled the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus arrived at the spot, he stopped. Bring the blind man over here, he said. Then Jesus asked the man, what do you want? Lord, he pleaded, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, begin seeing. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see and follow Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it happen praised God too. And then let's look at the parallel account in Mark. That's Mark 10, 46 to 52. And so they reached Jericho. Later, as they left town, a great crowd was following. Now it happened that a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road as Jesus was going by. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus from Nazareth was near, he began to shout out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, shut up, some of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted the louder again and again. Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped there in the road and said, tell him to come to me. So they called the blind man. You lucky fellow, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus yanked off his old coat and flung it aside, jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. Now, oh, teacher, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, all right, it's done. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the blind man could see and followed Jesus down the road. May God bless these portions of his word to us this morning. Well, you might well think, uh, what is there new to learn about the passages about Bartimaeus? We've heard it so many times before. It's a story we know really well. Um, it's amazing, isn't it, actually, uh, the number of sporting events that have recently been cancelled, including uh, the London Marathon and uh, the North Great Run. Now, I've never run a marathon. That's not quite my style. I've basically got no intention to run a marathon. I'm not prepared to undertake the necessary training. You don't just wake up and decide to run a marathon. You have to prepare. You have to train. You have to change yourself to be ready for such a major event. I have um, a key here. It uh, is a key to uh, one of the rooms in our house. 
but it's not a lock we actually use. So the key is useless and it certainly won't do anything unless I put it in the lock and turn it. Only then will it activate the lock mechanism and be useful for the purpose for which it was designed. And this passage reminds me of the key. Before we can respond to the question, we have to understand what the key element of this passage is. And it is this whole premise on which the passage is built. And it occurred in both of the readings, in both of the narrative accounts. It was the question that Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And we have to recognize, first of all, that something needs doing, something needs changing, and that somebody or something is capable of enabling that change. For this blind man, uh, Luke refers to him as Bartimaeus, and Mark mentions him being the son of Timaeus. Two things are evident. The physical blindness, but we often miss the second thing the spiritual sight. So we're looking at spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. Now, uh, Steve's actually got some slides uh, and I actually, I've whizzed on so quickly, I've even forgotten to mention those. So most people don't notice the things you do for them until you stop doing them. So let's move on to the next one, please, Steve. Yep, and the next one, the question that something needs doing, and then the two things, and the next one, please, Steve. Right, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep calling out Steve's name, and when I do so, he's gonna uh, move the slide on for me, please. So, physical blindness. We know about physical blindness. It's not just about choosing M&Ms from a packet uh, with your eyes closed. There are lots of things that would be really difficult to do if we were physically blind, and sight, it's often thought about as looking, but the problem is with looking is that we don't necessarily see. You know, I can look everywhere for my glasses, but why is it it's my wife who says to me, well, they're there. Didn't you see them? And I go, well, I've looked there six times already, or the car keys, you know? So frustrating, so frustrating. I can look, but I don't necessarily see. So let's move on to the next one, Steve, please. Looking about directing your eyes for the purpose of seeing something, really focusing in on it. Rick Arnold talks about spiritual sight like this. He says, I may hear talking about blind faith, but real faith is not blind. Real faith is when we trust in what we see by the Spirit. Real faith is when we trust in what we see by the Spirit. The Bible says to walk by faith is not, and not by sight, but this does not mean that faith is blind. It means that faith is not limited to physical sight. It's so important that we understand those differences. So whereas sight is often simply considered as looking, but not necessarily seeing, seeing is something more. Let's move on again, Steve. When I see something, things happen. I, 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 I see it. Give me, the, give me the example of a, a, 
a ball here. Oops, I'm over there. So I can see it with my eye. I, I recognize that it's the object that my senses have learned to call a ball. I have knowledge of the existence of and the apparent qualities of the object. It's, it's round, it's spherical. I can see it by mental vision. I form an idea or a concept that it is three-dimensional. And I observe and I discern or understand that it will either bounce or break if I drop it. That's what happens to things like this. All of these things I can see. So what do we mean when we are talking about spiritual sight? Well, let's think for a moment about what we don't mean. We're not talking about the use of the physical eye. We're not talking about what I physically see in front of me. And we're not just talking about our mind's eye. We're not talking about imagination. Both of those may affect our spiritual sight, but they are not in themselves spiritual sight. I might go out tonight and say, wow, that's a beautiful sunset. It's marvelous. But that is not the same as recognizing the creator behind the sunset or recognizing God's power within the sunset. Now, Bartimaeus had no physical sight, yet he was clearly spiritually sighted. And I know this because of two things. He recognized, first of all, not just the personage of Jesus. So, you know, he could hear a noise. He perhaps heard by reputation of this man. He was aware of the adulation of the crowd. But secondly, he was aware of the authority of Jesus. And that takes spiritual sight. Now, ironically, spiritual sight can be, in spite of these differences, compared to physical sight, because the results of looking and seeing are the same of each process. When we, when we see something, it's the result of, you know, uh, light falling on the object, and it enables us to see it. Our eyes see the reflected light and send the signal to our brains, and our brains can interpret the signal and it produces a knowing or perceiving of our consciousness. We become aware of something. The impression of knowing we get from perceiving is quite compelling. In fact, we say, don't we, seeing is believing. But is it? Spiritual sight enables us to compare a, a revelation an insight beyond a shadow of a doubt. Comparing that spiritual perception, that experience that we've had previously. When the Holy Spirit comes bearing his influence on our soul, it has the same effect as light had upon uh, falling upon an object. The influence the Holy Spirit causes results in us perceiving seeing the things of the spirit and the result of people receiving the light of the spirit is a perception which is so beyond our physical sight that we become absolutely convinced of the truth of the object we had seen as if we'd seen it with our physical eyes let's go back to the story and think about those crowds next slide please steve the crowds. Now, if you've ever been in a crowded situation, you have to think pre-COVID for this, of course. And who knows when we'll next be in a crowded situation.
social distancing. You know, it's, it's what it's like, perhaps at a carnival or a, a festival, people close together. And the crowds actually rebuked Bartimaeus. Mark uh, in the TLB says, shut up. But his spiritual sight compelled him to draw not attention to himself, but attention to the power of the Holy Spirit manifested in Jesus. We're told in Luke, he only yelled the louder. David the uh, prayer says, spiritual sight is not a matter of discerning things. Spiritual sight is based upon an inward revelation of Jesus. If you have no personal revelation of Jesus, then you have no spiritual sight. Doesn't matter how much brain power you have, doesn't matter what your education, doesn't matter what your IQ is, spiritual sight begins and stays rooted in seeing and knowing Jesus Christ in our hearts rather than our heads. So, Steve, next slide, please. How important is spiritual sight compared to worldly wealth? The crowds believed, did you notice, that Bartimaeus was lucky. Yahoo! Like he'd won the lottery. You lucky fellow, come on, he's calling you, Mark records. A chance encounter with a positive outcome, being in the right place at the right time. Well, no, there was, there was more to it than this. You see, Bartimaeus was not sat by the road because he knew Jesus was coming, like I might stand at the pavement edge waiting for the carnival to come by. He was in his usual spot. He was catching travellers on their way. He was begging for alms. A blind man sitting beside the road, says Luke. And when he heard the noise of the crowd going past, he asked, what's going on? What was happening? When he heard that Jesus from Nazareth was near, then he began to shout. Spiritual sight enabled the blind beggar to understand that now was the time to do something. Spiritual, uh, sorry, physical sight will often enable us to pray, but spiritual blindness will often prevent us from following that answered prayer with faithful action. Yes, please, Steve. Action. Action speaks louder than words. You know, the Bible is littered with examples of statement and the resulting human action. So let me just step to sort of one side a minute and look at how people who were prepared to act, who were prepared not to be spiritually blind, were given new skills from the Holy Spirit. The people who demonstrated spiritual sight. Quick whiz through. Okay, Steve, keep your finger hovering over the button. Noah, the first one, Genesis 6, 14, make a boat from resinous wood. God says to Noah, make a boat. Oh, for goodness sake, Noah didn't even know what a boat was. Some people say there hadn't even been any serious rain, uh, you know, in that sort of time. Make me a boat. And if you've ever watched films like uh, Evan Almighty, you know, he was totally ill-prepared for the job. But we're told in Genesis 6.22, Noah did everything God commanded him. Everything. 
no, I didn't sit down with a checklist and say, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. I haven't got this. I haven't got the other. I'm not skilled. I'm not qualified. He followed God's example. The next one in Exodus 35, 10, the building of the tabernacle tent. I've never really thought much about this before, but the instruction from God was come all of you who are skilled craftsmen having special talents and construct what God has commanded us. Come, all of you who are skilled. And then in Exodus 36, verse 2, Moses told Beziel and uh, Eliab and all the others who felt called to the work to begin. And then in Exodus 39, 32, and so at last the tabernacle was finished following all of the Lord's instructions to Moses. Now, it's interesting, not everyone volunteered. Not everyone felt that they could contribute in some way. But those who did were enabled to finish the task. There are also examples of people uh, where people didn't turn to God, and they, or sorry, where people turn to God, but they're not sure what will happen, but they're sure that God will do something. In 1 Kings, we see Elijah, 1 Kings 17.1. Elijah, the prophet from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord of the, the God of Israel lives, the God whom I worship and serve, there won't be any dew or rain for several years until I say the word. Uh, yeah, next slide, please, Steve. There's God saying, go, do this. But there'll be no rain. And then the answer comes just a few verses later. But for you, drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. I have commanded them to feed you. Elijah didn't know how he was going to be cared for, but that didn't stop him going. Or in the next slide, the first miracle, that wedding at Cana, the wine supply runs out and people go to Jesus's mother. Oh, sorry, Jesus goes, Jesus's mother goes to Jesus with the problem. The answer is simple. His mother goes to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. She didn't like regulate that by saying, if it seems sensible, do whatever he says, if it seems logical, uh, do whatever he says, um, you know, but you may have to do a risk assessment first. Uh, do whatever seems appropriate, but uh, just, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. Just do it. Just do it. There are also, of course, examples of spiritual blindness when people have run in the opposite direction from God or doubted his power and authority. Uh, next slide, Steve. Pharaoh and the Israelite slaves. Who is Jehovah that I should listen to him and let Israel go? He questions in Exodus 5 verse 2. I don't know this Jehovah and I will not let Israel go. Or Jonah. I love the story of Jonah. Next slide. Jonah was afraid to go and ran from the Lord. When people don't listen to God and don't act, when they show spiritual blindness, things don't happen. It's like going to a banquet. You've had the invitation, the meal's all spread, but then you don't want to go into the room. You have to take that step. That's what faith that's what spiritual sight is all about. So if we move on again back to our story, Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? 
in Mark. And uh, Luke phrases it as, what do you want? Now, it's a good point to ask, why on earth did Jesus ask this question? For goodness sake, didn't he know that Bartimaeus was blind? Well, of course he knew. But this is so insightful for you and I, because Jesus often asks us the question to see if we have the faith, the spiritual sight, to step out and grasp what's on offer. And then did you notice what Bartimaeus asked for? Or more precisely, what he didn't ask for. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for a servant to help him. He didn't ask for a new pair of shoes. He didn't ask for a little bit of sight. You know, perhaps sight in one eye, or sort of squinty sight, or if it's really bright, a little bit of sight. He asks for the impossible. I want to see. Bartimaeus knew through spiritual sight that only Jesus could possibly offer this total solution. And Bartimaeus was prepared to go for it. I firmly believe that things spiritual are not just things that bring us peace or inspire us or carry us uh, uh, to a higher wisdom. They are things that stir us up, that cause a change of direction. And for Bartimaeus, it was instantly the blind man followed Jesus down the road. A time when we have heard and acted upon the question, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks this question of us. It's not some sort of test. It's because he longs for us to become an explorer. Next slide, please, Steve. To delve, to reach, to stretch into the limits. Not the limits of his ability, but the limits of our faith. In uh, James 4, verse 2, next slide please, Steve, we read this. You want what you don't have, so you kill to get it. You long for what others have and can't afford it, so you start a fight to take it away from them. And yet the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it, because your whole aim is wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. When building the tabernacle, everyone who was willing and whose heart was moved came and brought an offering. And those who came were given the skills and talents by God, commensurate with the task. And we've got four slides in a row. They were willing. They were spirit led. They were active and they were enabled by the Holy Spirit. Bartimaeus had to be in the right place by the road, but this was just where he always was. But he had to make a noise. He had to move. He had to listen. He had to ask. He had to acknowledge his need. And he had to follow through. If you've ever played tennis, you know it's no good just sort of hitting the ball like that. You have to follow through. Or if you're a keen golfer, 
you have to follow through with the swing shot. Do we follow through on what Jesus is asking of us? Steve Sanchez once wrote, as valuable as your physical eyesight is, you have a set of spiritual eyes that are even more valuable. Not only do you have spiritual eyes, but you must use them if you want to live a life that finds its satisfaction in God. You must use your spiritual eyes if you want to live a life that finds satisfaction in God. Erwin McManus in the book, The Last Arrow, says this about the Psalms. The Psalms tell us that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our heart. This means we need to know our hearts, we need to know our desires, and we must allow those desires to be informed and then formed by the love and worship of God. If you don't know what you want, then God trying to give you what he wants is a wasted effort. You have to want what God wants in order to receive what God wants to give you. Let me read that last bit again. You have to want what God wants in order to receive what God wants to give you. Do your spiritual eyes have 20-20 vision? Can you see him? Can you hear him? Can you serve him by answering him, this is what I want you to do for me today, Jesus. We're going to close uh, with a prayer. And in fact, it's a bit, um, this is going to seem possibly a bit um, odd. Uh, we're going to close with a prayer, a reflection. Then we're going to say a prayer together. And then I'm going to take you into the last song, which is a modern setting of Jesus, lover of my soul. Uh, it's got a fantastic build to it. So stick with it. It's a really easy tune to pick up. And it's just, it's just fabulous. I really love it. But I'm actually going to come off the chat. And the reason for that is I want you then as a fellowship to just have time when you can share together with one another after the singing of that song. And I feel I'd be rather intruding to come in with you on that chat. This is your time to just wave to each other or say hi or just say how you're really feeling. Um, just enjoy that time together, uh, you know, like you would over tea and coffee or biscuits. All right, let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, fit me in somewhere, in this giant jigsaw, God, somewhere in life's work of art, the one you're working. Select a space my shape can fill. And with a puzzle maker's skill, let my contours find their fit without contortion. And we're going to finish by saying a prayer together. And Steve, I think, has the words for that as well. Thank you, Steve. A blessing. Let's say this together, one to another. Deep peace of the running wave to you. Deep 
peace of the flowing air to you, deep peace of the quiet earth to you, deep peace of the shining stars to you, deep peace of the sun of peace to you. Amen.